This is Wahasu, the World Happiness Summit. Feel the science. So Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, your work is amazing. It's transformative. The entire Wahasu community has benefited uh, from your wisdom in person at the summit through the various master classes and webinars and sessions you have done as has so many different audiences. Um, thank you for taking the time today to talk about failure at work and resilience. And um, it's interesting, athletes kind of understand this, right? They, they fail and they fail and they fail time and time again, and they're able to have great performance, right? And how can we begin to normalize failure, maybe celebrate it? So, you know, certainly in the West, we could use a little bit more um, humility and, and appreciation around failure. There, there is no thriving and there is no resilience without failure because it's simply a part of life, right? And as you say, athletes know they're not going to make 100 out of 100 shots, right? Um, as, human, as, as workers, we tend to think that, you know, we can show up at work and perform impeccably every minute of every day. And yet we are human. And so this appreciation and that, you know, Tal's phrase permission to be human includes permission to recognize one's faults, one's mistakes, missteps and moments of failure and find a way to hold oneself with compassion and move forward anyway. Mm. I wonder if it has something to do with language and with the vocabulary we're using, because as you're saying this right now, I'm thinking that's growth and it's part of the human experience and humans learn through experience you know um, even when we tell our children right we give them warnings and so forth and you we all have to learn on, the, on our own through experience so I wonder if it's if we can start to maybe call it something else it's not failure it's really growth it's learning it's adapting it's innovating really it's experimenting it's innovating it's trying and and missing right it's it's attempting it's that you know edison story with the light bulb 400 a thousand different elements he tried before he found the right combination the el the element that enabled electricity or light um the other piece of this too i wanted to bring to the conversation has to do with the growth if you think of moments of our own growth, they are often inspired by the stories we hear from our exemplars, right? The mm -hmm. leaders that, that we admire in whatever domain we are interested in. And we know from authentic leadership research that the most compelling presentations, this is work by Duarte and Sanchez at Harvard, the most compelling speeches, presentations, oratory, leadership moments are when we acknowledge the dream and then the mistakes, the failure, what fell apart, and then our journey to sort of building into a new recalibrated dream. Those are the stories that inspire us. Those are the stories our the most compelling mentors, leaders tell us. And so it behooves us to actually find a way to feel comfortable ourselves with our own failure stories and see them as part of the process of growth, not as separate and distinct. Well, that's a wonderful idea to look at it as part of the journey. And I'm thinking about when you're saying that uh, vulnerability, right? That that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable because we we do we all have vulnerable moments, whether we want to be aware of them or not. 
And then in the workplace, how can we as, as, as leaders um, create space for our colleagues or employees or coworkers to be able to fail in a safe way? Because we ask them to innovate and we ask them to go beyond. Right. But we need to give that space, I think. So uh, two important factors. One is a culture, creating a culture of experimentation where failure is understood to be part of the journey and failure is not punished, Mm. right? It's actually seen as part of the growth process of the team and so on. And that culture is only made real if it is modeled by the leadership. So the leaders themselves have to model authenticity, honesty about, you know what, looking back, that was the wrong decision. I'm so sorry, here's, here's what we're doing now, right? Mm-hmm. So the capacity to tell that story and model it and then embed it through the culture as a culture of experimentation is really how this failure becomes not the thing we're terrified of or ashamed of, but the thing that is simply part of the process of growing. And then I guess leaders also have to be comfortable with their own failures. So the narrative they tell themselves has to be also kind of one of growth, which is challenging when you're the leader, right? Because, you know, then you need to also, it's the culture that you're creating, but it's almost the internal work that you have to do first to be able to inspire that culture. And here's where we have to be careful about certain mindsets. So we know that the perfectionist mindset makes it very difficult to acknowledge failure and be comfortable with it. We know that leaders who take on the superhero mindset, that they have to be able to rescue or resolve everything, um, have a hard time with failure. And also leaders who are more of the stoic mindset, you know, that it's not okay to demonstrate pain or distressing emotions or to make mistakes. So there are mindsets that inhibit this growth. And then of course we know from Carol Dweck's work that growth mindset, which is learning, learning from others, experimenting, persevering in the face of obstacles, that growth mindset really potentiates the ability to see failure again as just one, one learning moment in a, in a lord, larger story of many learning moments. Well, you said so many powerful things. Um, so if, if we're looking at how to kind of operationalize you know, making failure okay at work, right? Or being part of the, the, the work journey. Um, we need to have leadership, we need to have culture and we need to have a mindset then. Yes. So what do we do? We need to surface what, the, what mindsets we're having. How do we, how do we um, get from the, the beginning, which, which is apparently a framework or a mindset so that, and we have, we can change that, which is beautiful, right? It takes effort, but we can change it. But it, it seems to me like the very first thing is awareness, yet we're in a culture where we also reward that mindset. So how do we do that? Yeah. So I think, I mean, you know, coaching around growth mindset is essential. Okay. Um, modeling with executives or looking for exemplars who model this outside the company um, about mistakes or errors or, and, and also looking for narratives within an organization where, where, you know, failure has actually turned into creative opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to look for the stories, not just the exemplars. Um, and, and again, this is where coaching is so important because it certainly here in the West, we, we do tend to be afraid of our own failure mm-hmm. and afraid of admitting, admitting that we didn't do things perfectly. 
Um, what's interesting, however, though, is that we know that leadership influence is elevated when leaders are seen and understood as human beings, when we understand their values, why, how they came to be who they are as leaders and the stories that motivate them, as well as these failure stories. So we know this, and yet, you know, we have to continue to give ourselves permission to be of the same, right? I, I, I do think, uh, Karen, the fastest path to this is coaching, small group manager coaching and one-on-one -on -one executive level coaching, um, which then can cascade throughout an organization. And, and just by, by creating this culture that you're talking about in this space, it increases engagement. I mean, you know, the, and inspires true loyalty, right. you know, right. through action and, and through a shared common experience in the vulnerability, because we're all vulnerable like we said before, whether we, we, we acknowledge it or not, and, and then we, we can identify. Let's go back to the coaching for a moment. I know you're a professional coach. Some people who may be listening to this, they don't really understand. I know I didn't before I got into um, Wuhazu and the World Happiness Summit and having the privilege to work with uh, so many professional coaches. Can you tell us a little bit about what is coaching and then you know, you shared some of the benefits, but I know that you have a lot of experience in this field. So just in terms of full authenticity, I'm actually a psychologist who ends up doing quite a bit of coaching. So I, I, I do not have a coaching certification, but because of my work as a consultant, I end up doing a lot of coaching. So coaching is really the process of engaging with another or a set of others with a direct, with a directed set of goals to enable their growth and development through using tools, practices, and principles that are research-driven that we know actually enable human beings to overcome obstacles, to grow in the face of challenge, but also grow into moments of opportunity and to develop an authentic um, sense of oneself as a leader. We're all this beautiful constellation of many capacities and to really land in who we are authentically. So that's how I think of coaching. And often those conversations are one-on-one, -on -one. sometimes they're one-on-four small groups. And the value and benefit of that is that the coachee um, has an opportunity to set a goal or a series of goals that then they have someone mentoring them with them through the process of understanding what are the barriers and what is going to elevate the success of those goals. Fantastic, and it's not therapy. No. It's important to note that that no. distinction, it's not therapy. No. So um, yeah, I think the value, the value that, that I really love about coaching as well is the whole practical approach, mm -hmm. right? That, um, that you bring uh, the, the needs of the organization, the needs of the individual, and then the science behind well-being and, and, and then the accountability, the personal accountability, I think is also really important as long as uh, in alignment with the, um, with the organizational Yes. Um, accountability. Yes, absolutely. So those could be ways in which we can, um, we can make failure or growth. We can even call it growth part of the, the dialogue and the narrative and the culture of an organization where individuals feel that they can, um, it's a, it's almost like adaptation. It's, it's, it's adapting to, to different, challenges as, as they go. Beautifully said. So let's imagine that 
this is still sort of the very end of Q1 in most organizations. Some often during Q1, we set our goals for the year. What do I wanna have accomplished by the end of the year? And how does that support the organization's goals? So imagine that my goal by the end of this year was to increase, I'm, I'm just making this up, increase financial fluency dramatically because I've now been put in a leadership position where I'm in charge of much larger sort of currencies, right? Money mm -hmm. and assets and so on. So increase financial fluency dramatically. That's one of my goals for the year. And then I make a mistake. I'm in Q1, I make some sort of error. I, I, a product I'm, I'm proposing is a failure. It's not gonna work. I've wasted some money. I still have this long-term goal of financial fluency. I can use this very opportunity, this failure as, mm. well, how, what is this failure teaching me that actually will enhance my financial fluency? Right. So by linking it to a larger goal, the failure to a larger goal, it becomes adaptation. It becomes a growth, a learning moment. It becomes simply part of the process. I love what you just said right now. What an opportunity to to implement that at work. That yeah. we look at the long term goals. So it's a short term bump. Mm -hmm. But really, that bump can open up other avenues that perhaps weren't there before and can still Uh, lead you to uh, to deliver on the goal or even maybe uh, uh, optimize it or even mm -hmm. make it better. Um, that's really great. And I think that we also have to be purposeful about yes. noticing those moments, marking those moments and using those opportunities to create new narratives, new, um, you've talked about models. This is, could be like almost like model thinking that we can start looking at in the organization on how we, um, we communicate not, not only success, but really the, the entire company journey to, to, to um, meet all of the business goals, as well as make an environment where the employees feel better, are more engaged, and, and feel like they matter. Yes, yes. So that, that's, that's something, and it's certainly doable, right? So absolutely, um, yeah. it's doable and it's essential. Actually. No, it's essential. It's absolutely <laughs> essential. But what I love about it is that there's there could be there's there's a framework. Yes, it's not you know um, things that you don't you know you certainly as a consultant do this frequently. You go into organizations. You um, I'm sure you surface uh, the values or you surface the needs and, and the conditions. And then another important component I would think that ties into the narrative is also positive communication. And I'd like to just ask you one last question to you um, that, that we get asked all the time. How do you have challenging conversations at work? How do you, how can you have them in a positive way when you have to deliver messages that are negative, challenging? Um, how can you do that in a, in a positive way? So we know that learning and growth are potentiated much more effectively if we focus predominantly on strengths mm -hmm. and focus a little less on the faults or weaknesses or vulnerabilities, right? So the mistake many managers make is they only focus on the fault lines, what you need to learn, what you aren't good at, right? What you didn't provide. That's dispiriting mm -hmm. and, and actually harms engagement. So we want to have a balance of, you know, a robust conversation about someone's capacities, someone's strengths, what they have contributed, 
what they know now that they didn't know a year ago, what they can do now that they didn't know how to do a year ago, and really begin the conversation there. And then I think of the thing that you want, the difficult piece as the and. And Mm. we do need to shine a light on this one arena. And then I like to advise others to, you know, make it a learning opportunity or, you know, a growth moment in terms of, you and I recognize that this is problematic. What are you? What are your first two suggestions about how we can move the needle forward? So put the learning responsibility mm-hmm. on the other person, and then and then have that be a conversation where you come to an agreement in terms of the steps that perhaps both of you will be are willing to make in terms of that learning goal, right? So to frame it in terms of learning and growth, not to put it all on them or all on yourself as the manager, but it's a shared responsibility, but the primary responsibility is with the individual. Wow. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm thinking about like a shared agency and Mm -hmm. giving the, the employee an autonomy as well, which is brilliant. Right. And sometimes the responsibility of the manager is actually, let's just take that financial fluency. If I've said my learning goal is financial fluency because I'm terrible at it um, and it has to get better at this new level that my leader, my supervisor, their responsibility perhaps is to say, what are the structures you need in place? Do you need a coach? Do you need an accountant? What do you need? And secondly, how frequently do I need to check in with you to make sure we're meeting this? Like really it's the checking in and holding accountable that's the manager's job. It's the employee's job to make sure they're actually taking the steps necessary. Sometimes they both have to take steps, of course, but that accountability piece is huge. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I think that what I have learned is that we do need training in this. It's not intuitive. There's certain, to me, it's, the points are intuitive. It's almost like when you're doing a, 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 a connecting the dots. So we know the dots, but we don't see the elephant or we don't see the dinosaur unless we have the purposeful training. And, well um, and, and, and so, you know, um, experts like you who dedicate their lives to doing this in so many different facets, including the workplace, which is so important more now than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot underestimate the importance of investing in this training because the, um, the magnitude of the positive results and minimizing the negatives is huge and, 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 and very measurable, by the way. Yes. yes. So thank you so much, Maria. You're listening to the World Happiness Summit podcast. For more information, check out our website at worldhappinesssummit.com or send us an email at contact at Thank you for listening.